Good evening and welcome to episode 34 of the Sock Takes Pod. I am your host today, Kevin Johnston. Alongside me, as always, is my good buddy. This man has the second greatest hair in all of soccer, second only to Kyle Martino. Uh, it's my good friend, Mr. Nipun Chopra. How's it going, Nipun? Hey, hey, Kyle Martino has been on my previous podcast and admitted to me that my hair is better than his. So I, I resent the second place. Uh, good to be back on with you, Kevin, and we're excited to have our guest today. Uh, excited to talk about all things football with him. Absolutely. We are pleased to have a very special guest today. He is the manager of the Northeast Conference of the UPSL, and you might also know him because he has put his name out there as a candidate for the president of U.S. Soccer in the upcoming February election. So we are pleased to have Paul LaPointe joining us. Paul, how's it going? Hey, thank you, guys. Uh, thank you, boys, and congratulations on your uh your hair nomination um, with Martino, uh, that's something definitely to be proud of. <laughs> so, Paul, um, I want to ask yes, a little sir. bit about your background, but before we get into that, um, let's yeah. take it straight to the moment that has been weighing heavily on everyone's mind in the soccer mm-hmm. community in this country. So, USA falls to Trinidad and Tobago 2-1, to one. That wasn't quite the nail in the coffin. It almost was, but Mexico had about a minute or two to maybe um, equalize and get us in. That didn't happen. So uh, what was your initial reaction, Paul, when you saw that? And was it kind of, um, did it motivate you a little more? Did it kind of kickstart you like, wow, um, we really need change and I've got to be a part of this? That's a great question. My initial reaction was... um, not fear, not disappointment. Uh, I would think it'd be more anxiety because, you know what, 15 years ago I felt these same things, and I said to myself uh, when the final whistle blew and we did not qualify that, um, you know, the American soccer community right now, um, I don't think should throw any more blame and 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 come out with grandstanding opinions through social media about why, why, why. Um, I think we know why. And um, it's kind of um, a blessing in disguise. I look at it as the glass half empty or the glass half full. I think this situation put United States soccer uh, with an opportunity to look at the glass half full and let's move on from here. I wasn't shocked. I mean, we... We shouldn't be shocked. We, we, uh, the result is exactly um, the outcome of what it should be uh, in comparison of what we should be doing and developing in this country from the three-year-old soccer player all the way up to a national team level player. And it comes from the grassroots. So I wasn't shocked. Disappointed, yes, because in the United States we have a passionate soccer culture now. We have infrastructure. We have state-of-the-art facilities. We have trainers. We have technical staff. All the things in the toolbox that you need to develop a world-class team, and yet we still don't do that. Uh, so now it's time to ask ourselves not why, but let's ask us what are we going to do about it, and let's put uh, action instituted immediately Let's just stop using words. Let's put our words into action 
and let's fix this thing and let's fix it now. And most people seem to refer to you as um, a soccer entrepreneur or a businessman, but uh, your little mm-hmm. your history in the game is a little deeper than that. You also were a player um, and a coach as well mm-hmm. at a very high level. Is that right? Could you tell us a little bit about that? That is correct. Um, you know, years ago, um, you know, I come from American soccer grassroots uh, as a youth player. Uh, and I started out as a ball boy back in 1973 or 74, for a local college. So I come directly from the grassroots of playing the game um, right through uh, high school. Um, got a look at uh, in 1982 by the New York Cosmos, uh, the Tampa Bay Rowdies. I went to the Cosmos camp. Amazing experience, but soccer in America did not have a lot of opportunity back then. So it was time to you know roll up your sleeves and get to work. But during that process, I was still playing semi-professional ball, um, had some stints in the in the lower ranks, USISL, um, then became a professional player in the indoor ranks, um, and after that became a professional coach, then a professional team owner, and then uh, then a professional league owner. So I have a little bit different um, soccer history than uh, some of the candidates that might be running now, uh, because I'm a direct product of. Uh, Everything that uh, United States soccer stands for, I believe, in uh, the skill set um, is a little different than the other candidates because I come from it all. Um, and uh, here I am today, still in all the sport and uh, want to make soccer better, better for the for the uh, for the American soccer community for years to come. Napoon, you got anything? Yeah, uh, Paul, you mentioned uh, the, that the time for talking is over and it's the time for action. So can you tell us? what your plan of action to fix U.S. soccer is? Well, the phone calls and the emails uh, and the social media uh, questions are just ongoing now to me. And there's so many sectors of U.S. soccer that need to be addressed um, at all levels. Uh, But number one, um, I would like to uh, immediately change and bring forth uh, an action plan to have the presidency be a full-time job. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, a part-time, a part-time president um, gives you part-time results. And the structure of the USSF right now, uh, from the presidency on down, uh, needs, to be, uh, needs to be looked at, and the layers need to be peeled away. Uh, and we need to look at where we're spending the money and who we're spending it on uh, to operate the USSF. But the first, the first point of attack is definitely um, move to uh, make the presidency a full-time job. Uh, and coming from 36 years of retail in corporate America and owning my own businesses, you know, I believe a president of a company needs to engage himself daily with his CEO and his managers and his staff, right down to the people who are running the office, um, to be able to make the proper decisions uh, on behalf of the company so it can sustain profitability, it can sustain longevity, and it can head off um, situations at the past before they rumble into lawsuits and things like that. So right off the bat would be the presidency um, move to a full-time position. I think you'll find near unanimous support for that idea. Uh, what other ideas do you have? Um, the next idea uh, for me uh, regarding uh, outside of the USSF structure is, listen, I want to put to bed this pro-rel uh, situation, and I've been very candid about this thing. Uh, we're not going to make a clean sweep. 
um, where Major League Soccer on down is just going to automatically, um, you know, kneel down and, and go with the pro, right? It has to be done with the United Soccer Leagues, the NASL, and everything underneath that, UPSL, MPSL, all the amateur soccer leagues, because they're very similar in the way they operate. Major League Soccer is its, is its own 20-year 20 20 history corporation. Um, we need to deal with that separately. But I will say this. Pro-Rel is definitely uh, going to be instituted for those ranks, and we're going to write a program, uh, and it's being written as we speak. And then we're going to break down the castle walls of Major League Soccer. And if they want to, uh, if they want to build castle walls around that sandbox that they're in now and try to protect that, then they can stay in that sandbox. But the rest of the country is going to move forward. So let me follow up on that because I think that's very interesting. Um, obviously, the, uh, there's a massive amount of interest in promotion relegation in this country. Uh, varying degrees, some are opposed, some are for it. Um, even within our group here at Socktakes, we have differing opinions on it. So mm-hmm. the reason I bring that up is you're talking about uh, what a lot of us want to see, which is the galvanization of NASL, USL, PDL, NPSL, UPSL. But you also mm-hmm. cognizant, you have to also be cognizant of the massive amounts of ideological differences between mm-hmm. the NASL side of the pyramid and the USL side of the pyramid. So mm-hmm. To bring all that into a one under one structure might sound great in premise, but what is the mechanism to make that actually happen? Well, the mechanism right now uh, for me is to obviously there ha- there has to be a defined um, system and a defined process, and we need to define who qualifies in different tiers and thereof. So obviously, NASL and USL one have have uh, higher budgets. Um, there's going to have to be uh, some qualification levels um, at that point. Um, so there needs to be a defined system. But before even all we talk about it, we got to get the owners of the USL, the board of directors of the NASL at a roundtable, UPSL, MPSL, and all the amateur uh, state representatives at the roundtable, and look each other in the eye and reassure each other that we're not going to step on each other's business plan. We want a system that's open for player development to support everything that we talk about, about supporting the concept and the technical part of our development system to support our national team to compete at the highest level. I think we can get it done without stepping on each other's business models from NASL, USL, and those ranks down. Like I said before, MLS is going to be uh, dealt with on its own, on its own deal. Well, but, without um, being without being flippant, Paul. Uh, yeah. Do you believe that you would be able to make that roundtable conference happen better than, say, Sunil Gulati or better than someone well, else? Because that has been posited but, many times before. Yes, I do, and, and it's already starting now. Um, the last the the last two, if you look at the last two commissioners uh, as of. 15 hours ago from the NPSL and from the UPSL, uh, Joe Barone and, uh, and Ron Scarra made a public statement saying that we're going to concede to Pro-Rel. Please join us because we support it. So there's two right there, two major. UPSL has a great recipe for amateur soccer in this country right now, banking on over 100 teams. NPSL is in the 90s. 
So there's two down. So we got NASL and USL to bring to the round table. That's going to take a phone call, and they're going to get it. And we're going to say, you need to come to a round table, and let's figure this out. Um, I don't know when the last time that's been done, but it needs to be done now. Kevin? Yeah, Paul, I, th- I believe it was earlier today, as a matter of fact, that you sent a great tweet that I, I really enjoyed. And it was that we should not have to remortgage your house to develop our youth. So mm-hmm. it, that's not too coded language. What I take away from that is that's referring to, ta-da, pay-to-play. So, you know, a lot of people hate pay-to-play. You know, most people want to get rid of it. What are some specific ideas you have? Um, and to make it a two-part question... Also, as most people know, U.S. soccer is sitting on over a 100 million surplus right now. So mm-hmm. um, possibly would one of your ideas be to use that surplus to reinvest it in the bottom levels of the game? Uh, 100% great question, and this is where the American soccer community is at right now. Uh, pay-to-play, to me, um, has a benefit, and it doesn't have a benefit. Where it doesn't have a benefit is it's not tapping into the sectors of the talent level that we have in this country uh, that can't afford to pay it. And some of those players in, those, in, in the inner city and in communities um, are never even looked at or never even recruited. I, I believe, and I am going to write, and we're about three quarters of the way they're writing it, is well, USSF is going to come out with, under my watch, a defined system that's going to tap into local and regional, local, state, and regional. That is a process only to support the national teams. Everybody can coexist and fly in the same airspace, uh, but right now nobody's flying in the same pattern. Um, Do we need ODP? Do we even need the development academies? But my system right away is I'm going to put a system in place that's that's going to be an identification process uh, within the youth ranks, that'll feed our national team program, that's going to cost that player no money. Um, The way it's written now and the way I'm looking at it is, yes, can we take some of the $100 million surplus and give incentives to clubs, states, and regions, uh, and elite clubs and in-town programs to support this program? Yes, we can. Uh, No question about it. Um, But I think the USSF can pull this off Without it, without funding it, let's just make it a no pay. So if we go into a club and they've developed a, a seven-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old or an 18-year-old or 19-year-old, and we, and we send out a technical staff from the USSF to look at that player, then we're going to put him into a system, and they're not going to pay for it, and they're going to be in that system. Um, so that's pretty much uh, what I'm thinking about right now is a no pay. Uh, the pay to play is again is a, it's a you know soccer is a fundraising campaign and there's a lot of money out there to be made in soccer right now. And like I said, um, we're going to get we're going to get the input of the DAs, the ODPs, the rec leagues, the in town programs, the travel teams, the elite clubs, and we're going to get that input and we're going to come up with a system. That doesn't intimidate them from the USSF and make it make us make them feel that we're stepping on their toes. Because at the end of the day, it's all about supporting the national team. And speaking of money, you also seem to be quite a champion of the women's game. Um, not only equal pay, 
But also, um, I saw you mentioned that you would even support pro-rel in some form for the women's game. And also, you would like to see the U.S. Open Cup for the women. So could you just talk about um, your vision for the women's side of the game? Well, my vision right now is to take, um, uh, the, you know, I look at the women's game as, as marketable and as exciting um, as the men's game. Uh, some may disagree, but from, from the U.S. soccer standpoint, in my mind, um, it, women's soccer always seems to be on a savior campaign. It needs to stand on its own. Um, so right off the bat, bring an attention span to the women's game with the U.S. Open Cup, I think it'll tap into the amateur ranks um, with some of these clubs that are doing fantastic work in the community that have fan support, uh, that don't have the opportunity as the men's do to be recognized and looked at. So U.S. Open Cup, I think, will bring in that uh, attention span, and it'll also bring attention span to possibly open up markets with investors that might want to invest in the women's soccer and um, and realize uh, the sustainability uh, that women's soccer is not going anywhere, um, and it's not broken. It needs a tune-up, and I think the U.S. Open Cup is the first part of giving it that tune-up. Um, I'm very candid about uh, equal pay for women, and I'm very candid about equal base pay for women at, within the federation. I believe if you're asked to play on a national uh, team, uh, for the U.S. Soccer Federation, then I believe you should be paid equally as the men. We got, I get the, I get the financial. You know, we want to look at what the women's bring in versus the men, and uh, so we, you know, this is the reason why the men, uh, you know, get more is because they bring in more. I get it. I get the bottom line, and I get the uh, profit and loss uh, scenarios behind it. But with a hundred million dollar surplus that you're talking about, I'm sure we can afford to pay the women equally. Um, to qualify us for for a uh, for a World Cup uh, in this country, and they deserve to be paid equally. Um, I know they came to a collective bargaining agreement uh, right, you know, as of late, and they might be satisfied with that. But I think they'd be more satisfied if I was president. Napoon? Yeah. So, a quick follow up on what we were talking about uh, with me. I was just thinking about this. So, in a scenario, Paul, you get NASL, USL. Uh, to yeah. get to come to a roundtable, you get UPSL, PDL, and PSL to come to a roundtable. Yeah. And a majority, or or even say, let's say a significant subset of owners just tell you straight out that they re refuse to work with the other side. How do you solve that potential uh, situation? Well, I mean, there's only one way to skin this thing. I mean, we've come to a crossroads in American soccer. Um, and I think I was pretty clear today on some social media that if some of these groups want to build castle walls around them and around their sandbox that they're playing in right now and let only the rich and famous join those sandboxes because the sand's very deep, then you know what? We'll build another sandbox. Um, UPSL and NPSL right now are making pretty big statements uh, between the two of them with, with 100 and 90 teams between the two of them and some of them um, experiencing uh, some of those teams experiencing fan participation levels beyond USL that's a pretty big statement so if they refuse then they're going to send a clear message that they want to fly in their own uh, their own airspace and they don't want to fly in the same flight pattern as the rest of us 
then uh, then we need to look at uh, building a new sandbox. And uh, I think the American soccer uh, community is ready for that. Uh, we hope that that doesn't come to that, but uh, maybe that's what it's going to have to take a major division uh, uh, to make things happen. But um, you know, we're going to try to hold this thing together and get everybody to work together. Today, this week, uh, in the last couple of weeks, been very turbulent uh, in the soccer world. Uh, no question about it. But as of today, um, I think some of these commissioners are going to come around and say, "Hey, uh, let's get this thing together." Because you know what? We should be doing it for the American soccer community. We should be doing it for all of our athletes. We should be doing it for all of our advertisers and our sponsors and uh, everybody who is eat, sleep, and drink in this sport 24-7 to, to have it aspire to higher levels. We deserve better. So, you know, my, even my campaign, I'm not running against Galati. I'm not running against Gans. I'm not running against Vinalda uh, or possibly John Mata. He hasn't announced yet. I don't run against anybody. I'm running for the American soccer community. So if we kind of look at that concept as a group, then I think we'll make the right decisions. Yeah, I, I like that answer. So uh, speaking of sandboxes and speaking of turbulence, a couple more questions from me. Um, mm -hmm. There was apparently a new sandbox that was formed yesterday in terms of the application for presidency. So mm -hmm. can you explain your thought process on what seems to be at least purported, at least seems to be uh, moving up the goalposts in terms of uh, who can apply to be USSF president? Well, you know, again, I think up until, um, you know, four, four or five months ago, um, I wasn't, um, I was considering running for the presidency, but I wasn't as, as intense about it until I made one phone call to an existing candidate that kind of tipped the scales for me. The American soccer community is, is very confused about the whole process, along with me, who votes, what the process is. Um, once I got, once I dug into it, the process was fairly simple. There was an application. Uh, there was a background check. I sent in my application, I believe, uh, sometime in early September. It got approved by Dan Flynn. Um, background check came back, obviously, clean through US, USSF soccer. And uh, the, the, uh, the, the USSF voted on a new governance and nomination committee that wasn't even really in place until about uh, maybe a month and a half ago. So it was very ambiguous on even how to apply, where to apply. So that's why I put a lot of uh, posts out there on, I think I was one of the first ones that even put the, other than the USSS website, the actual who votes and here's the voting, here's the voting uh, you know, process. But it's still very confusing to the American uh, public. And I think if I get elected in, um, there's definitely going to be some hardcore look at the bylaws and the process of this uh, to make it more user-friendly. Uh, because if we don't, um, I think it'll scare a lot of very talented people away from running for such a position that can really impact this sport. And then the final question that I have uh, is uh, the turbulence part. Obviously, there is a lot of turbulence, uh, especially on the NPSL and ASL side. Uh, your thoughts on the NASL litigation, which uh, aims to uh, strike down USSF standards? Um, you're talking about the recent uh, litigation, NASL, NPSL teams uh, uh, suing the United States Soccer Federation for... Uh, yeah, so and, and, uh, Rocco Camiso and NASL suing well, the USSF. You know what? The NASL at this point, 
and I was clear on this on my very first interview, um, you know, you got to give him credit. Um, it's a David and Goliath story, and we know how that all ended. And they have the right to fight, and they're going to, but they also had a time where they needed to satisfy Division Two sanctioning the way it is and the way it's written. And I'm sure this lawsuit did not help that cause. So the USSF obviously comes in and, and had an opportunity to chop them off of the block, uh, and, and they did. If I was president at this time of soccer, halfway through a very turbulent year of soccer, and we're on the brink of a, a qualifying uh, World Cup with our men's organization, um, I probably wouldn't chop them off the block. I probably would have waived them to give them more time to get organized. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a guy that likes to roll up his sleeves and get to work. I mean, let's look at the NASL, number one. Um, you know, to be they're regressed that they've regressed in participation of their league in soccer, uh, and maybe the commissioner of that league and the board of directors of NSL maybe take a hardcore look at their business plan. And if they were four teams short of a Division Two sanctioning, then maybe they should have sharpened the pencil a little bit and made it, made it easier for some of these teams to survive uh, via. Uh, franchise fees, league fees, league operation costs, and things like that, and maybe it wouldn't have been such a factor in those four teams that they needed. Maybe they could have got, if they just sharpened their pencil a little bit and made it easy for other investors, to uh, team investors, to do business with them. And we probably wouldn't be talking about this right now. KJ. Yeah, Paul, one last question, and we'll let you get out of here. Uh, yeah. A name like, like an Eric Winalda, uh, assuming he does, in mm-hmm. fact, run, it's kind of a household name in American soccer circles. So I'm curious to know what's kind of your campaign strategy to distinguish yourself and, you know, make people think, you know, Paul LaPointe up there on equal plane with Eric Winalda. Well, you know what, Eric and I met with Eric, uh, and I'll be candid about that uh, in Orlando uh, after I met with the Athletics Commission. Um, and Eric, uh, just the other, you know, night, you know, said that, you know, he was going to run for the president of the, uh, of the Federation. And you know what, Eric Winalda, and I'll tell you, John Mata, we talk and we talk weekly. I don't consider myself running against Eric at this point. My words to Eric is, if you run, no question it's going to bring a large attention span to the campaign uh, to run for this uh, top seat. Um, if you become president, I would hope you consider me. And if I become president, I will definitely consider you. But Listen, some of the greatest players in the world don't make the best coaches and don't make the best business people. We're not going to take anything away from Ronaldo's playing career. Um, no question about it. But out of all the candidates, Ronaldo, Gans, Gulati, um, at this point, I'm the only one that can probably tap into or have experience with every sector of the business dealings that U.S. soccer will deal with, and that's coaching, playing, owning, promoting, advertising, dealing with sponsors, um, dealing with investors. Um, I'm not sure the rest of the folks have all of the experience. They might have some. Um, when it comes to Ronaldo, great playing career, um, but is Eric going to be able to deal with 
the business side outside the lines. Inside the lines, no question about it, he, he can maneuver. But outside the lines, can Ronaldo put it together for U.S. soccer? Um, I think he would if he had my support um, underneath him because at the end of the day, uh, the U.S. Soccer, the US, uh, soccer Federation or the USSF is only going to be as strong as its weakest employee. And uh, who is ever the president or the next president is going to need to surround himself with some uh, some experts who can help uh, him or her maneuver uh, within this turbulent market and uh, for uh, for USA Soccer. So, but Winalda, we're on the same page. So, um, you know, I don't. I'm not going to be influenced to start a campaign to run at any one individual because, like I said before, I'm running for the American soccer community, not against one one person. Okay, Jen, we had a, a question on Twitter that we should get to before uh, we we let uh, Paul go. Um, the question was from John Lucchesi. He asked, uh, um, what do we make, what do we do to make sure we make the next World Cup? And what, what do you think of the NASL lawsuit, which you've already answered? Uh, but you can also answer the second part. Do you think USL should get waivers? So what do you, uh, how should we get to the next World Cup? And what uh, should USL get waivers for their D2 application? Um, how do we get to the next World Cup? Well, we gotta we got to tap into uh, the sectors that have not been tapped into yet. And I'm going to mention futsal. Futsal to me is very near and dear to my heart. I believe it's a gateway to the technical player and the mm -hmm. technical development of, uh, of soccer uh, for U.S. soccer for the next stage. So, listen, we need to direct our technical staff to come out and find the best talent. It can't all come from Major League Soccer. Um, and it can't come only from a fixed system. We need to find the next talent that's in an open system and not push those floodgates back. We need to open those floodgates, and I'm talking about the talent floodgates, but we need to get up off our chair uh, from the head coach down to the technical part, the department, and say, where, we, where are the best players to fit into the USSF uh, system so we can compete on the world stage? Um, but it's got to come from an open system. And you know what? It's got to come from the youth ranks. It's got to be a, it's gotta be a defined system. Um, but right now, all we're, looking, all we're looking through is Major League Soccer windows. Um, should there be players from the United Soccer Leagues and NASL on that national team roster? Heck yeah. We can't put the, we can't put the uh, World Cup on the shoulders of one 19-year-old. We need 12 of Paul Set. We need 15 of, of, um, of Timmy Howard. Um, we can't stop now. We have an opportunity to open up a system so we can, so that talent level can realize their dream to get to a national team level, but we need to go out and find them at the same time. So it's a two-way street, uh, but it starts in the youth ranks. It starts in a youth system. It starts uh, uh, in an amateur system, then it starts in the pro system, and then it works, it works its way up. But we all have to fly in the same flight pattern. We can't just be off uh, flying in the same airspace once again and just everybody trying to protect their own system uh, and then maybe try to come up with some bragging rights if they had this one player that made it to a certain level. We need everybody to work together to win a World Cup. 
Paul, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your ideas. Could you tell our listeners where they can uh, find you and connect with you on social media or elsewhere? Well, you know, right now I've been using, uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a uh, you know, up-to-speed uh, social media guru, uh, but, you know, I'm on the Twitter. I'm on the Twitter stuff, connecting there. My Facebook uh, page uh, at this point has turned into a avenue where I'll post uh, some things and people start commenting on and ideas are coming out and people are checking in. Uh, so that, that was amazing uh, to see that happen. So uh, at this point, um, that's where I'm at, you know, Twitter and Facebook at this point. And as time goes by, folks like yourself are starting to reach out and say, hey, who's this LaPointe guy? Um, and, I'll say it, and I'll say it one more time. From the benches to the boardrooms, uh, American soccer uh, needs a tune-up, and we're going to give it a, a, a big tune-up uh, right on down uh, to the lowest ranks. Uh, and um, but but that's where you can find me um, at this point. Or you can you can give them my cell phone number because I'm live 24/7, and I'll take anybody's call. <laughs> awesome. And Napoon, where can people find you in the Twitterverse? Napoon Chopra Seven, and you know, sock takes. Patreon, all that fun stuff. And you can find me at KJ Boxing on Twitter. This has been episode 34 of the Sock Takes Pod. Until next time, good night.